We will be in the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament today, continuing our series. We'll be in Mark chapter 4, the first 20 verses. There is power in a good story. And there is power to connect memory, provide teaching, and provoke thought through a, good, a compelling storyteller. Combine those two and you have the perfect pair to help make a main point stick in the mind of a pupil who thirsts for, for knowledge. Excuse me. When I was young, my dad was having a hard time teaching me obedience. I know some of you are not surprised by that because I was rebellious and stubborn. I remember very vividly my dad telling me a story that involved a little boy, his dad, and a tree. He began the story setting the stage and introducing the characters. He moved into a dialogue and action points and then the moral of the lesson. It was simple and it made a deep impression on me. The story was as follows. A dad and his son were walking through the jungle one day. The little boy ran ahead looking for sticks and soon ran far enough ahead that the father couldn't see him any longer. The father, aware of the danger that lurked in the jungle, picked up his pace and finally caught up with his son. His son had stopped beneath a large tree that had low hanging branches, so low that the foliage almost touched his son's head. The father stopped and called out to his son. Boy, stop, turn slowly, and look at me. The son sensed the seriousness of his father's voice, so he began following orders. The father continued, as slowly as you can, drop down all the way to the ground and inch your way towards me. The son did exactly as his dad said, and when he made his way to his father's feet, his father scooped him up, kissed him on the cheek, and told him he did great. As they began to walk away from the tree, the boy looked back and saw a poisonous snake that made its home in those very jungles, coiled around a branch just above where he stood. As I told that story in the theater of your mind, you see the father, you see the son, the, ju the jungle, the colors, and you might even hear the noises. You imagine what it might have looked like, all painted with brushstrokes of my words. And it's assumed that if the son would have not been obedient to the father's seemingly odd commands, he would have probably been bit by the snake that loomed just above his head. This is the power of story. Jesus was a master storyteller. He used metaphors to help connect people to the very reason he came. The very reason he came is in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Do we have that on the screen? Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In chapter 4 today, we will see the Lord Jesus continue to answer the question of who he is with a story called a parable. Though this is not the first time he has used metaphor to drive a point home, it is half of the verses in this chapter because Mark wants to get our attention about something we need to know as we move forward in his narrative. Listen. 
My hope is that you will actively listen today and hear the voice of the one you were created for and apply his words to your life. The one who has ears to hear, let him hear the word of the Lord. So turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat, sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path. And where the word is sown, when they hear, when they hear, excuse me, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, uh, for a while then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the, the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but he cares, excuse me, but he cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the, choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Let's, let's look at verses 1 and 2. Mark moves into a scenario with Jesus and his disciples again onto the sea and a, the Bible says a very large crowd gathered around him longing still to be healed, to be delivered of demons, and to be taught with authority. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus gets into a boat and it is assumed that the boat gets pushed out away from the shore so Jesus could continue his primary ministry. Look at me for just a second, church. Jesus' primary ministry was not to heal. It wasn't to deliver people from demons. His primary ministry was to preach the kingdom, to preach the good news of the gospel that he had come into the world to deliver people from sin. That was his primary ministry. 
Some scholars think that the reason Jesus did this, he got into the boat, was to amplify his voice as his location would have been in Capernaum. And this would have been the Sea of Galilee where he was at. And he would have been surrounded by, by mountains. So this, is, this would have created somewhat of an amphitheater for Jesus to speak in. And of course, this is all assumed, but we can see what Jesus was trying to do here. He was trying to get the message out. Notice something that gets overlooked. The Bible says that Jesus sat in the boat to teach. And this was normative in that day. The rabbi, the one who was teaching, he was the one who would sit and everyone else would stand. So it would be opposite today. I would be the one sitting and you all would be standing. Okay? That's how it was in that day. Verse 2 tells us that Jesus taught many things in parables. And if you look at the gospel accounts, you see that this is about 35% of his teaching. So the question is, what is a parable? In the Greek, it comes from two words, para, parabole, it's, there's these two words. Para, meaning to lay alongside of, and ballet, meaning to place or to lay. This meant to compare something by placing it along, alongside something else for the sake of illustration or explanation. This is what a parable is. Real world scenarios laid alongside heavenly truths. So if you're a note taker, you're going you're gonna to want to note that. Real world scenarios laid alongside heavenly truths. Let's go to verses 3 through 9. Uh, in the commentaries that I spent time reading this week, some people called it the parable of the seed, some called it the parable of the sower, and some called it the parable of the soils. You can call it whatever you would like, seed, sower, soils. In verse 3, Jesus begins with a very strong imperative before he shares this parable. Look at verse 3, the beginning of verse 3, it says, listen, and what's right after that listen? exclamation point. Dads, is this you when you're speaking to your kids? Or do you say, if, if you want to listen to me, it's fine. You want them to hear you. So what does your voice usually do? It escalates, correct? Listen, Jesus here is saying, be a hyper listener. Be an active listener. He's trying to make a point here. This is why he says, listen. This is the same kind of listening that requires action and change. Obedient listening. The same kind of listening that was expected from God's people in Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Old Testament at the giving of the Shema, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That hear there is the same listen. Okay? So be active listeners today. And then verses 4 through 8 are the actual telling of the parable that Jesus shares here. It says, the sower goes out to sow the seed, and some of it falls on the path, and the birds came up and ate it. 
Other seed fell among the rocky ground where there was not much soil, but it grew up. And since the soil was shallow and not fertile ground, the seed died due to not having a, a deep root, which we're, u- we're used to here in the panhandle of Texas. Amen. Other seed falls among the thorns and is soon enough choked out by those same thorns. Lastly, the fourth seed falls among the good soil and produces grain yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and even up to 100-fold of grain. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 gives us the lenses to clearly see the explanation of this parable. Jesus ends this parable much like he began it. He begins by saying, listen, be an active listener. And then he ends this parable by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. One of my favorite theologians of all time, R.C. Sproul, who is now with the Lord since 2017, this is how he began his sermons. He would read the text that they were going to be in that morning, and he would say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He gives, Jesus here, gives the invitation at the end of his message. And it is clear, if you have listened and the word is changing you, you will respond in action. Um, I don't know if you know this, but I've been helping uh, the girls basketball coach at uh, Frank Phillips. He asked me to help keep some stats and kind of help him, you know, get the girls pumped up and going for the games and things like that. So I've been sitting on the, is it called a sideline? You know, I don't know what it's called. But I've been sitting on the bench with the girls. And I'll, and I'll say something, I'll like try to, you know, like, hey, like, take a block or something like that. And they don't do it. And it's like, ah, you know, like, oh, and I'm just like, you know, in my mind, I'm just like, listen to me, you know, can you hear me? And the crowd's cheering and all this stuff's going on. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus? looking at his people, saying, listen, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And we come together and we gather together as the church and we hear the word over and over and over. And do our lives change as we scatter back out into the city? Is the word applied to our hearts? Verses 10 through 12 in somewhat of an interlude before Jesus actually explains the parable. Jesus takes time to explain this parable. They asked him, what, what does this mean? And he gives them the key to unlock the rest of the parables that he tells. So this Mark chapter 4 verses 1 through 20 are key for us understanding the rest of the parables. Verse 11 To you, Jesus says, to you has been given the secret. He uses this word. The legacy standard translation says the mystery. To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. Jesus is unveiling something here for his disciples. He's revealing something here. Those who belong to Christ are given eyes to see, hearts to believe, minds to understand, and ears to hear. Listen, to those outside of Christ, this parable remains a riddle to be solved. This secret, this mystery of the kingdom also carries the weight of things to come. Listen, this is, this is a sobering moment here. 
it is to be revealed at some point in the future who has ears to hear and who does not. Verse 12, Jesus quotes the Old Testament here, Isaiah chapter 6, 9 through 10. The religious leaders in that day would have known this scripture by heart, but they had no idea it was about them. They rejected the message of the prophets and hardened their hearts. This was John chapter 1 verse 11 coming true before their eyes. John chapter 1 verse 11 saying that he came to his own people and they rejected him. Verses 13 through 20. Jesus begins this section with a question. But listen, this is what I love about the Lord Jesus so much is that the Lord Jesus takes time and he explains this parable to his disciples. Remember, the apostle Peter was conveying this to Mark. So think about for just a second about how Peter remembers the Lord Jesus so kindly helping them understand. Verse 14, this is when Jesus begins to explain the parable. Who is the sower in the story? Jesus is the sower who comes to sow the word of God. Who, what is the seed? The word of God, here what we have in our hands, this is the seed that is scattered among the four different soils. So the question that we have here is, what is the soil in the parable? The soil is the human heart. That's where the seed is scattered and it lands. Verse 15, the questions continue for us. Who are the birds who come and devour the seed that fell among, among the path? Jesus explains that this is Satan who comes and plucks up this seed. Verses 16 and 17, then Jesus begins to describe the soil that receives the seed, but it is rocky ground, it is dry ground, and the seed cannot take root. It springs up quickly, but when tribulation and persecution comes, the sun scorches, scorches it, and it dies for lack of good soil. Verses 18 and 19, we see the, the thorny, it lands among the thorns. The seed lands among the, the thorns here. As the seed tries to take root, it, it is quickly choked out by, Jesus says, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and desires of other things, and it proves unfruitful. And then lastly, verse 20, Jesus ends by saying, this is what good soil looks like. The fourth and final seed is sown among the good soil. The good soil is the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. And Jesus says they bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. What does this mean? It means there's actual growth and change in the one who has the good soil. I want to end our time with this. And I know you're looking at your watch thinking, Ricky, it's only 1136. But you know, you know how I am when I say we're going to end our time with this. The religious leaders in that day had begun to formulate a plan for the destruction of the Son of God. And they thought, they thought that because of the fact that they were Jews and they made the right sacrifices, they knew the Torah cover to cover and lived a life of seemingly good conduct, that this was enough for God. 
Listen, this was a fatal error on their part. This parable was key for understanding the rest of the parables that Jesus taught. I want you to hear this. Be an active listener right now. If you are not given a new birth and a new heart by the Holy Spirit, you will not understand your need for forgiveness from a holy and infinite God. Listen, you cannot on your own be the good soil. You cannot on your own merit the forgiveness of God. Something that sobers me, church, as long as I've been in ministry, is the fact that many people in the church today have the same mindset as the religious leaders. They think this, well, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I hadn't murdered anybody in the last week, even though I've thought about it. Um, you, know, I, I, you know, I'm a mom and I cuss a little. Um, or, you know, I, I, haven't spent, I haven't spent any time stealing from companies or, you know, all these big sins that you see on TV. And the Lord Jesus presses here, especially when we get to Matthew, to the Beatitudes, to the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus presses here. He says, you may have not murdered anyone, but if you hate someone in your heart, you've committed the same treason. The Lord Jesus continues to press here on the need that we have for a Savior. Listen, this is about the grace of God. This is not about working so hard that you try to, uh, you try to approve of yourself in, in, in what God has for you or, or try to get God's approval in any way. This is about accepting the love of Christ that he has for you freely as a gift. We cannot be the good soil on our own. If anything, we are the other three soils. Listen, I want you to hear this clearly. And I know, listen, I know that this message is not going to draw a crowd. I've, I've come to grips with that. If I wanted a big church, I would pre preach really easy things for you to hear. I would tickle your ears like 1 Timothy says. But I have committed myself to the word of God because I know that I have to stand before him one day and give an account of how I preached it and taught it. So I've, I've come to grips with the fact that we might never have a big church numerically because this is not a popular message. Listen, we are all destined for hell. We are dead in our sins, but it is God who makes us alive in Christ. He justifies us by his perfect life, by his substitutionary death, by his bodily resurrection and his ascension. And now we are sealed and secure by his Holy Spirit for the day that we stand before him. It is God and God alone who saves. It is God and God alone who produces the good soil. So my question for you today is, outside of this church gathering, outside of meeting with your gospel community, has your life produced fruit? 
Paul speaks of a very specific fruit in Galatians chapter 5. I think we have these verses. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Paul mentions here love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now listen, does a Christian do this perfectly? Absolutely not. We don't do this perfectly. Does a Christian strive to do, as Galatians 5.24 says, to crucify the flesh with its passions and its desires? Yes. This is what a life of repentance looks like. For the Christian, the more aware we become of God's holiness, the more aware we are of our need for Christ. We are wholly dependent on his spirit to make us like him until the day he completes us in eternity. Listen, church, I'm not, I'm not preaching morality here. I'm not preaching for you to become a better person. I'm preaching for you to be changed from the inside out. What changes us? The Word of God changes us. The Spirit of God changes us. The gathering with the saints changes us. This is why this is so important. This is life or death. Do you know, listen, do you know what you were created for? You were created for the glory of God. You were not created so much for your children or for your spouse or for your job or for trying to earn more money. You were created for a purpose. What is that purpose? Or do we hold all these things more important than our purpose? Do we trust him in his goodness, in his faithfulness, in his steadfast love that no matter what comes into my life, no matter what kind of pain I experience, no matter what kind of sorrow I experience, that I trust that God is good and that he's faithful and that nothing that comes into my life does not go through his hands first. I, I honestly, this is just an honest confession. I struggled with this passage. I listened to a guy preach this that I respect, a guy that I love and respect, and I've read a lot of his books, and he did not preach this message this way. But the more and more time I spent reading the word and just being inundated by it and just crying out to God, saying, God, help me. What do your people need to hear? And the response I get every time is, preach the word. Preach the word, Ricky. Be faithful to the word. Church, I love you way too much to tickle your ears. I love you way too much for you to come here and waste your time hearing some guy get up here and just preach an easy message to hear. I love you way too much. Because I know that you have to stand before God one day and give an account for your life. So if anything, would you take time throughout the week to pray for me? 
that God would kill any desires in me to, to be liked. That is something I struggle with. People who know me dearly know that I struggle with, with wanting to be liked. And I know that this message will not, is not something that's easy to hear. Listen, we do this every week. We give an invitation every week. You cannot have ears to hear unless the Spirit gives you ears to hear. This is what this parable is all about. The Lord Jesus is saying here, I am the one who has to give you ears to hear. I am the one by my Spirit who gives you a heart to believe, a mind to know, affections for me. I'm going to invite the band to go ahead and come up. So as we think about this this morning, we're going to take time here in just a little while to take the Lord's Supper, take communion. And I want us to think, listen, if you are a Christian, what does your life look like outside of this place? Does your mouth reflect it? Does your mind reflect it? Does your heart reflect it? Do your actions reflect who you are in Christ? And I say this often, this might be a conversation that you need to have with your kids or with your spouse or with your coworker saying, you know what, I haven't acted like a Christian and I'm sorry for that. Would you forgive me? This is who I am. This is what I believe. What does, what do our lives, are, are we fraught with anxiety and with terror of what might come, or do we trust a good God? If you are not in Christ this morning, if, you, if we asked you the question, are you a Christian, and you said, I, honestly, I don't know, my question is to you, are you trying to become, become the good soil? Are you trying to merit? Are you trying to be a good enough person that God might accept you at some point? If you are here this morning and you're being crushed under the weight of your sin, you're made aware of how sinful you are, come to Christ. Come to Christ. Repent of your sin. Look to Christ who saves. And for those of us in this room, look at me for just a moment. If you are in Christ, if you consider yourself a Christian this morning, what does your life look like outside of this place? Does our life reflect what Paul says? Does it reflect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Are we striving for this as his people? Let's pray.